You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people, who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past them like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own strength is their God. May the Lord give us insight into his word this morning. Amen. In a very short book called A Guide to Christian Living, John Calvin writes this. He said, a Christian is living simultaneously in the shadow of the cross and in the light of the resurrection. Let me share that with you again. Just think he defines living the Christian life as living simultaneously in the shadow of the cross and in the bright light direction. If you stop and consider that, that would mean you have these two very different extremes. The shadow of the cross way over here and then the future, that bright light of the resurrection, the completion of our salvation. But it's in between those two where we as God's people often encounter our greatest difficulties and deepest questions. And so what does God have to say to us when we are in that in-between stage, living in the shadow of the cross and in the bright light of the resurrection, but we've got present trials and difficulties? And there are many questions that people are asking at this time, many that even as Christians we struggle with. Let me give you two that maybe you have thought about at some point in your life. How do you respond when you have prayed about something and it's just not answered? It's just not happened. I know there are people here that have physical difficulties, deal with chronic pain. What do you say to someone who says, I've prayed about this. I've sought God on this with all my heart. Nothing. Nothing's changed. Or how would you respond to the fact that everything you have believed 
and read about God suddenly appears to be the exact opposite of what you are experiencing in life. You've heard God is loving, you've heard he's caring, you've heard he listens, you've heard he loves you, but yet you look at your life and you look at the circumstances that are real before you and wonder, why does it seem like there's a contradiction here? Well, there's a reason we're going to the book of Habakkuk for insight on this, because Habakkuk is living, in a sense, you could say, in the shadow of the cross and in the bright hope of the resurrection. So open your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. And what we're going to look at is two specific points just on the first four verses here of this book. In other words, if we're going to live, as Calvin said, the Christian life in those two different extremes, and we're in the in-between, we need to do so by first spending time with the prophet Habakkuk. We, we need to enter this world and, and see what is he doing in that world that would be of help and assistance as we seek to live our lives for the glory of God. Notice how the book that Habakkuk the prophet received. So when you think about that, this is called the superscription. Um, most Old Testament books open with a superscription. And that means here's an introduction to the book. And typically you look for certain things in a superscription. Uh, you look for who's the prophet. Uh, you look maybe for some information about the prophet. And then maybe some clues as to when was this written. Maybe a mention of a king or someone reigning at a certain point in time. So I said we're looking at here this reality of spending time with Habakkuk. Well, let's look at this superscription and see what we can find out. I read it for you in the NIV. Let me read you two other versions and see if you notice any slight differences. The ESV begins with this. The oracle that the prophet Habakkuk saw. The Tanakh, which is the English translation of the Hebrew Bible, says it this way the pronouncement made by the prophet Habakkuk. They are very much the same. Oracle, pronouncement, uh, what Habakkuk saw, what he received, all agree with the sources from God. So in one sense, this opening superscription does not tell us a whole lot. In fact, all it tells us is there is this oracle, this word of the Lord that comes to Habakkuk and Habakkuk is a prophet. So if we were trying to put together Habakkuk's resume, all we could say definitively is he's a prophet. That's all we know, definitively. Now, interesting, his name in Hebrew referred to, to embrace or wrestle. And that clearly is a part of this oracle, this message, is about one who in a sense, is, is going to wrestle with God on some very important questions. Just as I said, I think for all of us as Christians, you will go through times where you wrestle with God. When you've prayed and there's no answer. When there's things going on in your life and you question, what's the purpose? 
We, we know we can say all things work together for good, but, but what does that mean? And have you never felt as if I know that's true, but it doesn't seem like that is the case for me or for this other believer? So in thinking of Habakkuk's resume, is a prophet. Uh, he's quoted three times in the New Testament, but never named. So in other words, the, the three references are more in particular to a statement in chapter 2 where it says the justice or righteous will live by faith. That's quoted three times in the New Testament, but never is it mentioned. This is from Habakkuk. So in other words, the only time he is referenced in the Bible by name is this short statement, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. But we can surmise that based on the material in this book, that Habakkuk lived in Judah and he lived right before the Babylonian captivity. So he is a pre-prophet before this life-changing event for the nation, uh, which would raise questions about God and God's promises. So that much we can say for sure. But it's interesting, the word oracle is rendered in some translations as burden. Here is the burden that Habakkuk received. And I think that's an appropriate term to consider. This is a, a heavy message, a very relevant message but it's a disturbing message. It's not a nice little neat, here's some great news, but as you'll see, actually is some very horrible news to have to be given. Now, to spend time with Habakkuk is to know a little bit more about the overview of the book. And fortunately, it's a short book, three chapters, but it's laid out very specifically. And so I want to give you a brief overview of this minor prophet. In other words, we're looking this morning at verse 1 through 4. That's the prophet's first question. His first question has to deal with how long and why. Then you'll see next week, verses 5 through 11 of chapter 1 are God's reply. God has an answer to that question. Then... In chapter 1, verse 12, through chapter 2, and verse 1, most Bibles are set up this way, you have Habakkuk's second question. He has a follow-up question based on God's reply. And then you can anticipate in chapter 2, verses 2 through 20, you have God's reply to Habakkuk's second question. But then what is most interesting is chapter 3, is a completely different style. Chapter 3 reads as a psalm, and it's Habakkuk's prayer that expresses confidence once again in God. So keep those bookends in mind, how this book begins with a question, but how it's going to conclude in praise and worship of God. So now you have the book of Habakkuk, in a nutshell. So you know what's in it. We know it's an oracle, but we still want to spend time with Habakkuk here. And to do that, we need to step back and say, what is the function of a prophet in the Old Testament? 
Because clearly, we do know Habakkuk is a prophet. Clearly, it's not to entertain the people. It's not to tell them what they want to hear because other portions in the scriptures mention false prophets who tell the people what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. So one of the concise ways to think of what a prophet is is that a true prophet has two purposes in the Old Testament, to tell forth and to foretell. So the tell forth part means they are bringing God's specific message to a relevant concern or issue in that day. But that message also often transcends and has greater future spiritual significance as well. And the foretelling is sometimes the message speaks of events to come. Maybe in the short future, but it can also include events that are yet to have happened. And we see glimpses of that in this particular minor prophet. So that is the purpose of a prophet. They're to act in a similar way as John Stott used to say, a sermon or a pastor accents. They're a bridge between two worlds. They've got one foot on earth and one foot in heaven. And they're bringing God's message to us. Habakkuk is that vehicle. And so in order to appreciate what we're going to read, we need to step into his world. There's an expression that my wife sometimes says to me, and she says, welcome to my world. Uh, and I think you know what that means. You're just saying that that's where I live. That, that's what my world is like. Well, how much do we know? How much do you know about the world of Habakkuk? What if he said to you, and in a sense he is saying this in these first four verses, welcome to my world. Let me take you into the world where I live and what's going on. But right before we transition, I want you to go to the book of Deuteronomy, and in Deuteronomy 18, since we're spending time in the shoes of Habakkuk, Deuteronomy 18 reminds us of the stance for a true prophet of God. Deuteronomy 18 and verses 19 through 21. There you have Moses given these instructions as to the reality that there are true prophets that God will send his bridge between heaven and earth, but there are also going to be false prophets. And so you look at Deuteronomy 18, and beginning at verse 19, it says, If anyone does not listen to my words, that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name, anything that I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of God must be put to death. You may say to yourselves, it's not been spoken by the Lord. If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken. Do not be afraid of him. And think of that last phrase. Do not be afraid of him. In other words, one who speaks authority of God is to be feared because this message is a holy message. 
And that would say to us, for, for Habakkuk to be given this label, you are a prophet, in many ways is a potential death sentence. Because if I don't speak what God has said to me, then you should kill me. God should judge me. And so it gives us a whole different perspective of spending time in Habakkuk's shoes here and seeing this is how we should listen to what he says. And we know that there is a way that we can the accuracy of what he's going to unfold here for us. But that's our first point to begin with, is, is just spending time with Habakkuk. And so go back to Habakkuk chapter 1. And with that point in mind, look closely at verses 2 and 3. And probably in most of your Bibles, it says something beginning this section with Habakkuk's complaint. And I think we might want to word that differently. Because I don't know about you, when I think of complaint, I, I almost want to think of like, uh, you know, he's, he's just like let loose here. He's, he's had a bad day, a bad week, and he's just venting. But that's not what he's actually doing. But listen again to verses 2 and 3. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Welcome to my world. And it's in that question, how long and why, that we have here is a lament that God, through Habakkuk, communicates a message that is not whining, it is not venting, it is not ranting. It is what's known as a lament. And there are many laments in the Word of God. The book of Jeremiah has lamentations in it. Then we have a book itself called Lamentations, filled with lamenting, sorrow expressed by God's people. And we have one-third of the Psalms are classified as laments. So if it's not whining, if it's not complaining, what is a lament? What is a vehicle commonly used in the Old Testament that actually has been given recent attention, a good thing, by many New Testament scholars saying there is a biblical place for lamenting. And so when you think of lament, it, it kind of has three parts to it. The first the part of a lament is a, is, is no address to God. It's a personal address to God. And you see that too. How long, O Lord, the covenant name for the God of Israel, it's personal, and it's addressed to personal God. So a, a lament has this personal address to God. But then a lament also includes recognition that something has gone wrong. That something has gone wrong. What this tells us is God does not want us to be a people who are naive about pain, suffering, and difficulty and the dark, deep questions we struggle with. He doesn't want you to pretend that those don't exist, to somehow go through the Christian life with blinders on and just ignore those things. 
because laments are a gut-wrenching, honest statement. This is not how it should be. This does not appear to line up with what I know about who you are, God. So there's a refreshing honesty to a lament, saying something is wrong here. But the third element in a lament is that in that is an expression of trust and praise to God. Embedded in a lament is an expression of praise and trust in God. Because even the very expression of sorrow and confusion is addressed to, oh Lord, how long? It's interesting that this is not the first time, the only time, where you have this question raised, how long? God himself will say that to his people often. How long will you not listen to me? Get to the book of Revelation. In Revelation 6, you have the, the saints under the altar who have been martyred cry out, how long, O Lord? How long? So Habakkuk is not alone in expressing lamenting. It's the vehicle through which God's message will be delivered. And so we've considered now somewhat stepping into Habakkuk's shoes. But we need to get more acquainted with his world because if we are to live in the shadow of the cross and the anticipation and brightness of the resurrection, we must also wrestle before God in faith. We must see that there is a place in the Christian life to wrestle before God in faith. And so we see this clearly in this entire section, but again, verse 1, I drew attention to the title, Lord, Yahweh. But if you go through this book, you see it's used by Habakkuk. He speaks of the fact that this is God he's speaking to, the Almighty, the Powerful One. He uses the reference to the Holy One, the Rock, and my Savior. A perfect example of how a is matched and embedded the trust and a confidence that this very God is listening. This very God will prove faithful. Notice in chapter 1, but verse 5, which we'll get to next week, says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told is clearly indicating that there's something down the road that's going to happen that hasn't happened yet. But God is moving all the pieces in place. And Habakkuk needs to see, in a sense, what we need to see when we pull back the curtain and are honest about what we see in this world. Because as you look closely at verses 2 through 4, now we look into the world of Habakkuk. We see what is going on that would call him to cry out, why, Lord, and how long? And so let's take a closer look. We will naturally draw some parallels, we might say, between our situation, our world, and Habakkuk's. And see, suddenly, although Habakkuk was back in the 7th century, that our worlds are very much the same, but the same questions, 
that we wrestle with. But notice in verse 2, he says, Do you not listen or cry out to you violence? Now, the word violence is a very strong word there. It's used to only refer to the result of sin. So Habakkuk looks at his world and he says, all I see is violence. All I see is the devastation of sin. God, where are you? Why Why don't you stop it since you're all powerful? Have not any of us ever thought that in our own prayers about something? God, I know you can do everything. I know you're omnipotent. But but why? Isn't that even what Paul prayed when he prayed about this thorn in the flesh? I, I pleaded three times that you would take it away. I don't think Paul was kidding. I think he prayed with all of his heart. Wasn't that he lacked faith? So notice in this, he says, I see all this violence, but no but you do not save. Whenever you look in the scriptures, has there been a pattern that God always saves and delivers his people? And you hear Habakkuk living before the Babylonian captivity and exile. And he will say, when will this stop? When is enough enough? Now, he's saying this not because he has no faith or no knowledge of God, but actually because he has faith in God, because he knows Israel's God. He's saying this does not look like what I've read, what I've heard, what I've known. Notice the next verse. You have three couplets to lay out Habakkuk's complaint, his lament. And the first couplet is simply injustice and wrong. It looks like you just turn the other way here. There's cruelty, there's oppression. But I don't see intervention. And as far as from a historical, Habakkuk could argue, and there's always been intervention by you because you're gracious and you're merciful. Why not now? Notice the second couplet, destruction and violence are before me. Some people have given up watching the news because they say it's depressing. Would it be fair to say that there is destruction and violence before us every day? Maybe not so much on a personal, intimate level in our community, but but that is our world, destruction and violence. Notice the third couplet is their strife and conflict. Nobody gets along. Not only does anybody not as not only does everyone have an issue with everyone else, but, but their big issue is with you. And so all it's marked by is strife and confusion. And the result is given in verse four, introduced by the word therefore. Based on this scenario, Habakkuk being brutally honest. I look at my world, and this is what the circumstances show me. The law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked him and the righteous so that justice is perverted. Like, where is justice 
Where is the person who's following you rewarded and blessed? But there's a a disturbing question to consider in verse 4 when he says, the wicked hem in the righteous. And the question that's raised here, based and answered in the rest of the book is, who are the wicked that Habakkuk is thinking about here? Now, our, our minds might immediately jump to, well, other nations, the Assyrians, clearly the Babylonians. But is it possible that by wicked, he's even including those who live and are God's people in Judah who have long since stopped listening to him? And I want you to turn to Jeremiah 22, Jeremiah chapter 22, and verses 24 through 27. Now, Jeremiah would have been a contemporary of the prophet Habakkuk. And so Jeremiah writes, preparing the people that they're going to go into the Babylonian captivity, that this nation is going to come in, it's going to rip them out of their land, it will destroy the temple. And all of this is happening because they have stopped listening to the prophets God has sent. And not only will it happen, but it will last 70 years. So no matter how hard you pray, when you're in Babylon, it's not going to end early. You're going to be there 70 years. But listen to what 22 verses 24 through 27. Jeremiah, surely as I live, declares the Lord, even if you, Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, signet ring on my right hand, I would still pull you off. I will hand you over to those your life, those you fear, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and to the Babylonians, I will hurl you and the mother who gave you birth, where neither of you born, and there you both will die. You will never come back to the land you long to return. That's contemporary. Hezekiah preparing and announcing what Hezekiah, or excuse me, what Habakkuk would refer to when he would say that God says this is what he's going to do soon. What an announcement. What a reminder that the wicked people here were were not just other nations, which will lead to a second question Habakkuk has. But they're referring to God's own people who have stopped listening to him. And as we are concerned about wanting life to return to normal, of wanting to be past COVID, and I think many of us realizing that's not going to happen quickly, we also don't want to lose sight is what is God seeking to teach the church through this? Not just how he wants to use it to humble and bring others to Christ, but how does he want to use it in your life? How does he want to use it in the life of the church? and what ministry is, and what it should look like, rather than maybe what we want it to look like. And so as we've stepped into the shoes of Habakkuk, now we get a closer look. What does it mean to wrestle with God in faith? Because look towards Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 3, to give you an idea of where this will all eventually go. And we'll look at why can there be such a dramatic change. 
But Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19, you find these words. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. How can at a world that is turned upside down and come out saying this, when in fact nothing externally would have changed. In other words, we're going to see that the circumstances don't dramatically change. If anything, they go from good to bad to worse. And yet, because he wrestles with God in faith, he can say that. And what I would say to you and to myself is that if we can grasp the significance and message of this book, we should be able to do the same thing. In a world where maybe the circumstances are not going to change quickly, and the circumstances in your own life that you wrestle with and the questions you have may not be immediately answered, you can still, by wrestling with God in faith, say, no matter what, I will rejoice in God, my Savior. Recent survey of what are the major struggles people have included these. Anxiety, marital strife, depression, conflict, angry, angry about things, uh, abuse and hurts they're still struggling with, and also the rise in addictive behaviors. In all of those things, is it possible to be able to lament, but to walk away with a faith that is as strong as Habakkuk's? Let's pray together. Gracious God, may we learn from your word that everything that has been written is written for our teaching and instruction. We thank you that you are a powerful God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.